welcome friends, fans, and colleagues to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Uh, This is your host, Karen Tate, and uh, you were listening there to uh, Emma's Revolution and their cut, uh, Peace, Salome, Shalom. So I want to say welcome again, and thank you for being with me tonight. Uh, I'm real happy to have with me uh, Jeanette Blonigan-Clancy. She's been a contributor to a number of uh, the anthologies that I've curated, uh, but she has her own book out now, uh, one that I was happy to give an endorsement for. Uh, It's a powerful book. It's an important book. Uh, The title is Beyond uh, Parochial Faith, a Catholic confesses uh, and she's also the author of the blog uh, God is not uh, three guys in the sky uh, and um we're going to be chatting tonight uh, about the toll her Catholic faith uh, has taken on her family and where that path has led uh, herself and uh, many of her family members. Uh, she was brought up in what she calls uh, a blanketing Catholic climate. Uh, and uh, during her life, you know, she's accomplished a lot. She went on to obtain a master's degree in theology. Uh, interestingly, she attends Mass with Benedictines but rejects the father-son myth. Uh, She's worked passionately against sexist God talk and identifies with nuns, in air quote, that's N-O-N-E-S. She dialogues with atheists and uh, she informs her faith with science. She's rather unique uh, and I'm so happy to have her with me tonight because I believe she is going to make uh, an interesting guest with um, a very wise uh, perspective uh, that uh, she can share with listeners. Um, So let me just uh, welcome Jeanette uh, to the show. Hi, Jeanette. Welcome to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Hello. I'm so happy to be on. Thank you. Well, it's been a while since you've been on. I believe you were on once before, uh, uh, quite a long time back, and it's it's good to hear your voice again. Um, And and as I said in the opening, Jeanette, it was such an honor uh, to uh, endorse your book. Uh, It was a powerful book, uh, but uh, in in a way, um, you know, a book that kind of saddened me because uh, especially as a former Catholic myself, I, I mean, that's how I grew up. Um, I was fortunate that Catholicism or Christianity didn't have such a powerful hold uh, on me and on my family as it did uh, on yours. Um, and um, it was, was that what motivated your writing? You know, what did you want to accomplish with the book? Well, first of all, I'll say I've been on before, on your show, twice before. And um, I also want to say that my growing up in this very, very Catholic culture is what brought me back to the church as well as sent me out. I think I've spent a lot of my life moving, um, trying to um, reconcile this very Catholic culture with the life outside, outside of this envelope of Catholicism. If I lived in California, as you do, I probably would not have gone back to the church. But the Benedictine friends, where I I went to school 
with Benedictines all my life. I've gone to school with Benedictines, and they really brought me back. So I go back to the Catholic Church because I, because of them, because that they, they are my people. I'm, I'm a cultural Catholic. That's the reason for for going back to the church. And now, um, let's see, you just asked, I forget your question. Well, it, well, let me, your well question? before we... Well let, well, let me just comment on what you just said first, and then I'll repeat the question. Um, you know, for, for listeners who might not understand what you just said, because remember, you know, a lot, a lot of listeners are not Christian, a lot are not Catholic. Um, what do you mean by a cultural Catholic, and who are the Benedictines? Why are they so special? Okay, thanks for asking that. I, I have to remember that the rest of the world does not live like us right here in Stearns County, Minnesota. Benedictines are one of the religious, one of the largest religious orders in the Catholic Church. And they, um, as I said, they're a big part of my life, and they brought me back. So Catholic culture is, well, Stearns County, where I have lived virtually all my life, or maybe it's a, a, a block away from Stearns County. Um, Stearns County is very Catholic, I said, and that means that um, most people here are Catholic and have been all their lives and don't question it. I remember years ago when I was teaching, um, one of my students learned from something I said that most people are not Catholic. And she was astonished that most people are not Catholic, that Catholics are actually a minority in the United States. Well, this was, oh, maybe 45, 50, well, 50 years ago, let's say. But even so, um, it's, it's about today. Um, well, okay, that's, uh, that's so, our Catholic so culture. It's, so it's like you've... So it's like if you're a Mormon in Utah, um, your whole life, your social life, your religious life, maybe even your work life, your family life, um, everything is wrapped up uh, in the religion. Would you say that's a, um, a, a good definition of, um, of Catholic culture? I would say that's a good analogy. However... I'm so glad you brought up the Mormons. They are even more culturally an island than Catholics are. Catholicism is less um, blanketing, actually, I would say, at least for me, at least for me. Uh, for some people, especially in, the, in my generation, could be very much like living a Mormon life in Utah. But um, there are many people nowadays, today, in, especially since 2000, who are more involved with the secular world than Catholicism. But, uh, yes, yeah. we could point to the Mormons. Uh-huh. 
Yeah, um, well, and I and I know growing up in New Orleans, um, I grew up Catholic. I went to Catholic school. Uh, they called it parochial school. Uh, so for any anybody who doesn't recognize that word, parochial faith, um, you know, and honestly, uh, it, it, you know, people probably would scratch their heads. There was one Jewish temple in New Orleans, but um, I, you know, it, honestly, it wasn't until I was 30 years old and moved to California that I believe I met anyone who wasn't a Catholic. Um, so I can understand that, you know, you're, you get, and we all get in our bubbles, and sometimes we never, uh, that bubble isn't really penetrated. But um, your family, uh, your your family's Catholicism, uh, it goes back to Europe, though, doesn't it? I mean, they were German Catholics or, or something, weren't they? Mm-hmm. Yes, the German aspect of it is very important. Um, but back to how Catholic it was, every school that I've ever graduated from, from grade school to to grad school, was Catholic. And yes, it's Europe. Well, especially our family, we spoke German at home when I was growing up. This is in the United States, and I am a fifth generation German-American. So my great-great-grandparents lived here. And in spite of that, we none of my siblings knew English before we went to grade school. My younger sister was born in 1945 and did not know English until she went to grade school. We were younger ones. She and I were the youngest in the family, so we heard some English. But I remember one time I was going to, I, I wanted to speak correct English and correct German. I, I was ashamed of being a dumb German. And I, want, I tried speaking something to my sister, and she said, you talk funny. <laughs> and a lot of our speech <laughs> was funny. But everything had, our parish had its own little um, rituals, our our own way of uh, living the religious life, because the German aspect was part of it. When people after World War I were told to change to English, priests told people to change to English. And people just wondered how could they go to confession in English. It was so foreign <laughs> to them. That's funny. Well, and you know, you said the word parish. Um, that that I of course recognize that word right away. Uh, but for listeners, um, you know, if you're a Catholic and you know you grow up in a parish as opposed to a county. Uh, where everybody else, you know, if you're not Catholic, kind of grows up. It's it's kind of a, a similar thing. Um, well, in, in your book, um, uh, Jeanette, uh, you really had the courage to pull the skeletons out of the closet. You know, I, 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 was, I was so uh, proud of your courage uh, because I think um, – 
you know, whether we're talking about domestic violence or, uh, you know, pedophilia, I mean, these, these things that, uh, you know, d- uh, that people uh, hate to talk about, you know, mental health issues, uh, these things that have stigmas attached, you know, when we leave them hiding, festering in the closet, um, you know, it, it sort of perpetuates them, you know, it, but you have had the courage to talk about, um, you know, the negative aspects, um, you know, of that uh, uh, being a Catholic had on your family. And I think as people read your book, uh, it will enable other people uh, to find their courage to speak out as well. And um, and, and I guess, well, that was my... Er- that was my earlier question. Does that have some motivation in why now. you wrote I rem- the book? I remember now that that was your question. What motivated me and what one of my motivations was to help people in the same way that I was helped when I went through my what I call my midlife meltdown. I was so helped by... Uh, by people who told their own stories of being in a dark place like I was at the time. It's, there's nothing more enlightening and uplifting than finding somebody else's intimate encounters with all the pain that comes with those dark times in our lives. And I'm hoping that that helps other people. Um, and another motivation, though, that's that's the emotional. You know, I, I, I think people need to see other people in emotional pain and honoring that emotional pain. Another motivation was that it, it's intellectual. I hope, and I spend a lot of time at the end of the book, um, working this out, I hope that I provoke people to questioning, questioning things that they have always believed. We have to unlearn the things that we have been taught. I want to say something about my title, parochial. I'm glad you mentioned New Orleans and and parishes, and that's part of the parochial system. But the word parochial means more than going to a Catholic school. Parochial also means isolated and and not with it, Um, just being in a a separate little envelope. I like to call Catholic culture our envelope. And so parochial has these two meanings, Um, parochial schools, meaning Catholic schools, and parochial in the sense of not universal, not not as far-seeing, not as wide-ranging. Um, so my I motive didn't know that. In my I motive, didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, no. oh, very interesting. Maybe I've paid attention to it because I've stayed in parochial faith longer than you did. Yes. Parochial means what? not... not um, well, not... Uh, the word isn't coming to me, but it's the opposite of parochial. It means something um, more universal, more um, far-seeing, broad, a broader view, a broader view. Right. 
Well, then, well, then the opposite of that, it feels appropriate uh, to be Catholic, or or in some or in some degrees even Christian. You know, uh, depending on if if mm-hmm. you're a fundamentalist uh, Christian, you know, uh, rather than a progressive uh, mm-hmm. Christian. So, um, so right. again, your title of your book, the title of your book is Beyond Parochial Faith: A Catholic Confesses. Um, but yet, you've also, uh, for years now, you have a wonderful, well-researched, um, uh, you know, b- uh, so interesting uh, blog that uh, uh, it, I, I can't say enough good things about it. The world, words are failing me. Um, it, it's called "God is Not Three Guys in the Sky." Um, you know, when people talk about what blog do you read, I always mention that one because you never disappoint and. You know, you're not afraid to uh, tackle the tough subjects. You know, that's what I like about you so much. You know, um, and, and you tackle them in such a uh, educated, uh, compassionate, um, uh, you know, loving way. It's just clean. You know, um, so how Thank would you, you say the how how would you say the book and the blog are different? Um, you know, if you were put oh. side by side. Okay, I like that question. Um, let me say a quick thing, though, about the Benedictines. The reason I attend Mass with Benedictines is that they, some of them are far-seeing. That's another opposite of parochial. Some of the Benedictines um, just really agree with me, and I, I would like to think that I have had some hand in their thinking with a far-ranging, broad mind. Um, but, uh, oh my goodness. Now I forgot the question again. How, 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 uh, the, the book and the blog, what, what is the difference? Oh, yes. Um, God is not three guys in the sky is a book I wrote before, um, before this present memoir, parochial, uh, Beyond Parochial Faith. God is Not Three Guys in the Sky really is when I came out. It was sort of coming out of the closet of faith and saying, I don't believe God is three guys in the sky. I don't believe Jesus is God. And I don't believe Jesus' death saved the world. And that's when I started the blog, GodIsNotThreeGuys.com. The book, the first book, God is Not Three Guys in the Sky, is actually more academic than this second book, Beyond Parochial Faith. Beyond Parochial Faith, A Catholic Confesses, is my memoir. And so it's story. And readers have told me that they can't put it down once they start. They, it, it's, it captures them somehow. I'm so happy. Well, I talk about my family's wounds and I think that's one of the things that makes it um, the sort of book that they don't want to put down or keep going back to until they read, 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 read and and find themselves at the end of the book. Um, And so I would say if a person is an academic, then they might start with God is not three guys in the sky. And if a person wants to read some story. Um, the second one is more story. Beyond Parochial Faith is story. And it would be um, more 
readable for people who are who really are not academic at all. But at the end, toward the end of the book, I have a chapter entitled Dialogue with an Atheist and Dialogue with an Agnostic. And uh, those also... Um, I, I was writing... I was trying very hard when I was writing this memoir to write for people who are not intellectual. And that's the way I was directed by my writer's group. They always complained when I get too intellectual. And so I was <laughs> <laughs> I was meeting their demands and their expectations. So I, I think those are the main... Well, in- well, if your book is anything like God is Not Three Guys in the Sky, the blog, um, you know, because because now you're telling me God is Not Three Guys in the Sky originally was a book, uh, but that's also the name of your mm-hmm. blog. Um, I think I think mm-hmm. um, even for non-academics, the blog uh, is not uh, the bar isn't that high there. Um, I, I wouldn't discourage Good. non-academics from from going to your blog at all. Um, and okay. so, if your book is anything like that, I, I think the, I think the average person. Um, you know, would would probably enjoy it too because it, what you have in there is so important. You know, um, but I understand mm-hmm. your book is you know you're you're telling the story of your family and uh, as you say, you know, a Catholic confesses, and I have to tell you, um, Jeanette, I was so moved um, and sad to see um, how. Some of your, you know, the, some of the people in your family, you know, the the misery that um, this Catholicism mm-hmm. just brought brought down on them, the guilt, the the control over their lives. I mean, it was like lives wasted, and um, it, it was just it was just so sad. And um, but the, but not not that the book was a downer by any stretch of the imagination, but but your honesty. Um, at you know how adhering to this theology, um, you know, really uh, was was not uplifting. I, I mean, it didn't seem to me. Um, would, would you agree, or am I just um, remembering the the bad stuff? Oh, it is so interesting to get your take on it. I agree with you, and I also disagree because. Um, the the goodness of people who are trapped in Catholic culture cannot compare with any other. I mean, there's absolute morality in people who have been so faithful to Catholic thinking. That's one aspect. But also... Um, they were just good people, and I, 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 well, Karen is talking about, I should say, I should explain this, you're talking about my aunts, they have now all passed away, and so I can say this, Um, they, they had fairly good lives in spite of what they went through. Oh, I need to say something else about um, the, well, 
I won't say it now. But anyway, there are good things about people who have who live in a parochial atmosphere. And and I will say this now. Jeanette Blonigan Clancy is actually the better it might you might be more successful at finding my blog in Jeanette under JeanetteBlonniganClancy.com. I don't know. My my daughter um, revamped my website, and the blog GodIsNotThreeGuys.com is still there. But you know, when I my computer knows what I want, and um, have have you still been finding it, Karen? Have you been finding it at GodIsNotThreeGuys.com? Um, yes, I don't remember now off, off the top of my head how. Um, I, I bet you can probably find it uh, whether you Google God is not three guys or your name. Um, I believe it would probably come okay. up either way. Okay. Yeah. Maybe just um, Jeanette and God is not three guys dot com. Maybe that will do it. Okay. Yeah. So, so you're saying that you think, in spite of, uh, you know, them, you know, them being trapped in this, um, as you call it, this uh, blanketing Catholic culture, um, it all wasn't bad. I mean, they were good people. Um, you know, every everything, uh, you know, their lives weren't wasted. You know, they, there was there was yeah. good as well as uh, as the bad. Um, well, and that's I guess right. that's, that's and, anyone. You know, we could say that really. And and when you can't see beyond where we are, a person who can't see beyond where she is, um, life is more than tolerable. Um, They lived off the earth. They had a beautiful garden. Um, They gave flowers. They, They prepared the flowers for the church. Um, they gave vegetables to people. Um, everything looked wonderful until their very death. They almost died from mono, um, from poisoning and uh, carbon monoxide poisoning. But they they had fairly good lives. Um, another aspect of um, making things tolerable is uh, when I went to the school of theology. The theology the sexism in theology texts just blew me over. Oh, I had a hard time with that. I I kept thinking about the he man language. He man, everything was he right, man. Right, right. <laughs> right. And um now looking back on it, I really realize also how beautiful the people were. Um, the, the monks at St. John's were so kind, and they helped me to, they helped to heal me, because I was coming off my midlife meltdown, and the the students, the fellow students and professors were praying for me because I had cancer. Um, one of the things that brought on cancer is that I was um, trying to fit. Catholicism into the rest of the universe, you know, trying to deal with what the Catholic Church was teaching and what I had learned about, from reading about mythology and, and the goddess and and 
Eastern religions, and, you know, I broadened my mind, and then I went to the School of Theology, and and the disconnect there was something that I was dealing with. It was one of the things that led to cancer. So, um, well, and, 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 you know, it's the, it's, it's the, it, I mean, that's the perfect example of, you know, how we talk about dis-ease, D-I-S, Dash E A S E, and um, I, I think it's kind of remarkable that you made that connection between um, the difficulty reconciling uh, Catholicism once you were better educated and you opened your mind, uh, and the toll uh, that knowledge took on your body. Um, we're going to take a break here, um, Jeanette. Uh, we're already at the half hour, believe it or not, and we're barely halfway through the interview. Um, so much to talk about. Uh, when we get back, um, I want to talk about uh, this father-son myth, this sexist, uh, sexist God talk that you teach about so passionately. And um, and if you believe in Jesus uh, as, as God. So that's where we're going to go when we come back. Uh, but uh, uh, just a quick minute here. Uh, I want to share with listeners uh, something about Joe Carson's film, uh, Dancing with Gaia. tell you about Joe Carson's film, Dancing with Gaia, an exploration of earth-based spirituality shot at sacred sites around the world. This is from Janina Renee, author of Playful Magic and By Candlelight. Dancing with Gaia is a magical, transformative film. Just watching it can alter your perception of the physical body and the energy field of the goddess Earth. Next time you are taking a walk or simply gazing across the landscape, you might find yourself affecting mystical fusion with the local earth forms or making deep contact with the spirits of place. If you want to engage deeper with the consciousness of the earth, there are a number of detailed but simple how-tos. What's more, seeing the exquisite works of these Gaia-inspired artists could energize you to start working on some of your own spiritually expressive projects. The DVD was shot in some of the most powerfully sacred sites in the Western world. It comes packaged with a 45-page color booklet, which goes even deeper into the ideas and techniques in the film. The package is just $20, and you can get it from DancingWithGaia.com. So just a reminder, Dancing with Gaia is available only at DancingWithGaia.com. And uh, we're back uh, with Jeanette Lonigan-Clancy, author of uh, the new book, Beyond Parochial Faith, A Catholic Confesses. Uh, She's also uh, the author of the wonderful blog, uh, God is Not Three Guys in the Sky, uh, both highly recommended. Um, Jeanette, so... 
um, when you went off to, uh, you know, to college and, uh, you know, and, and you were studying, uh, you know, getting your degree in theology, uh, you said you encountered this horrible sexist uh, language. Um, so talk a little bit about how you rejected the father-son myth and this uh, sexist God talk. I re- rejected the father-son myth before I ever went to the School of Theology, graduate school, because I was reading mythology and um, pagan theology. Well, I should say that when I was in college, um, Father Reinald, one of the monks at St. John's, later he became abbot, um, taught us about myth in the Bible. And that opened my eyes for the first time, uh, he took away, I, I, I felt less guilty for learning about myth in the Bible. Um, we, we really were talking about mostly the, the Old Testament, you know. Noah did not, um, the, the, the ark and the Noah and, and Jonah and the whale and, you know, those stories um, are myths. They are religious myths are beautiful and I talk a lot in both books about the difference between religious religious myths, honorable religious myths, and myth as it's used in our culture today when we really just mean a despicable lie. Um, But when I learned this in senior year in college, it opened my eyes and I attributed the lesson also to the New Testament. It wasn't just about Jonah and Noah. It was, why do we have to believe that Jesus is God? I had always, even as a child, I did not develop a devotion to Jesus for some reason. I I think it was a kind of childhood mysticism because I thought of God as something much, much, much greater than a human being, even as a child. And then later um, in college, a a friend of mine told me that I said in college, God is not just a man. So I was thinking that far in college. And then I did, after college, I left the Catholic Church and tried being an atheist, but atheism just did not wear very well because I learned that, um, well, I had spiritual experiences that did not square with atheist belief. And then when I went to the School of Theology, in spite of that, I, I was very, atheism is really spiritual. Atheists are spiritual. And I think that's why they reject religious myth as fact. Atheists really are thinkers. And um, so I tried being an atheist, but it didn't work. And then when I went to school of theology, oh, as I said, the sexist language there blew me away. But um, I learned during that whole terrible, it was a very difficult time, I learned to reconcile my Catholic culture with the larger society. Actually, that's what happened. 
Um, and now so I feel so called, the reason and now I feel called to say that God is not three guys in the sky and I'm I feel called to try to make people aware that our God talk is sexist God talk and that we Christians inadvertently perpetuate sexism. And and why is it so important, Jeanette? Um, explain to listeners why is it so important to clean up that sexist uh, that sexist God talk, the sexist language. Thanks for that question because that I I learned recently that somebody somebody I respect as a good thinker said that he really could not see the connection between sexist God talk. And um, racism, well, e- even sexism in our in our society, uh, racist God, uh, sexist God talk, and the Me Too movement. He couldn't see that connection, and to me, it just seems so obvious. If we had not been praying to a He God, a male God, for centuries there would not be as much gender violence. Gender violence is directly an outgrowth of sexist God talk. If God is male, then males are God. Male, uh, Mary Daly, a famous theologian, put it that way. If God is male, male is God. Because if God has authority in heaven, then males have authority on earth, and sexist violence can happen. Gender violence comes directly out of Christian God talk, I believe. And it's certainly part of it. it Well, it gives license to uh, perpetuate gender discrimination, And, and gender discrimination goes hand in hand with unequal pay, with with violence, um, you know, all the things that marginalize women. And because you have this, you know, you have this hierarchical pyramid. You have God at the top, right. men next, and and right under men, you have all of us who serve God in men, which is women, the earth, and all the species and resources on the planet. You know, it's like we are there to serve God in man, and it's this, um, and we don't realize it, but it's this subtle conditioning to accept, uh, for women to accept second-class status, and for men to think they are an authority over women. How else would, you know, these men get away with telling women what to do with their bodies, for instance? Um, you know, and something else that yeah, impinges that it impinges on is LGBTQ. That not only does gender violence affect women, it also affects the attitudes toward people who are just different sexually. And out of all of that authoritarian male on top thinking also flows racism because it's an authoritarian thing. There is top power over others. Power over others leads to more war and violence and aggression of all kinds. 
I, I, I do feel like I have to say, I have to insist that this is not man-hating, a man-hating perspective. It's not that men are devils and women are angels. In fact, I think I'm going to say that in my blog. Oh, I should say, GodIsNotThreeGuys.com is my blog. God is not three guys in the sky is my book. And and Karen, you did know about my book, otherwise you wouldn't be saying God is not three guys in the sky. Because my blog oh, is over okay. God is not Yeah. God is not three guys dot com and the three is not spelled out. But anyway, to get back to sexist talk, sexism and and uh, sexist God talk leads to a lot more than just um, gender violence against women. It it leads, but we also need to say uh, men are not devils and women are not angels. It's just that there's been this uh, imbalance for thousands of years. Patriarchy has ruled for thousands of years, so we don't know what it would be like if women had been in charge all that while. What we want is balance. Well, yeah, and I mean, um, Miriam Robbins Dexter has been on the show a number of times. She talks about an equalitarian society, equal equalitarian, or we know there's the term egalitarian societies. You know, we think that, uh, you know, in, in other cultures, you know, they did have egalitarian societies, but when these, you know, these uh, patriarchal religions come along and the only God has a male face, uh, you know, and it's the big three, it's Judaism, it's Christianity, it's it's uh, Islam, you know, they're all over the world, and we reflect the religion, um, you know, we perpetuate the model that the religion that religion teaches us. So for thousands of years, we've had, um, you know, the authoritarian male patriarchal religion, where, you know, uh, women, uh, you know, men actually held, uh, you know, uh, the you know they could. Uh, uh, determine the the life or death of females, you know, because females in a lot of cases right. were, uh, you know, weren't even elevated above cattle, for heaven's sake. They were property. They were chattel. Yeah. And, you know, right. religion, we, we have to lay, lay this at the feet of religion and be honest um, about it. Um, um, so, so would you get pushback, Jeanette, when you were in, uh, you know, in uh, seminary school? I, I, I forgive me if that's not the right term, but when you were studying <laughs> theology, would you get pushback when you would talk about the sexist God talk? Oh, this is so interesting. I did not come. I didn't come to the term sexist God talk until after that, but. I kept saying that I was a feminist, and the nature of my writings was different. I mean, uh, my my feminism just had to appear in my writings, and I think in a few cases that it affected my grade. But, of course, I could not prove it, and I think... It, at this time, I have forgotten all of the cases of that happening, and 
um, most of my suffering over it took place in my home. I, I went to the School of Theology in um, at St. John's, which is just four miles from my home. And so I went home to my own place away from campus every night. Um, that affected things. I think it must have helped me to regain my own balance in my home. But I, I, one of the things that I wrote at the School of Theology was that I had a heart. I, I, I said I couldn't believe how hard it was for me to hang on to the larger viewpoint that I had before I ever entered the School of Theology. I was still, I was so torn when I knew darn well that God was not a God any more than, Jesus was not God, I should say. Jesus was not God any more than Muhammad was God. But nobody claims that Muhammad was God. Christians claim that Jesus is God in a way that I don't know another religion that makes a claim like that, and it it, it right. puts Christians in the in the um, position of saying we're number one, we're the best religion, we're the only religion that's right because it, it's a way of say of owning God. Um, right. But did I get much yeah. pushback? Well, I don't well, know. Well, um, it's kind. Of, I found I well, found kind of, other wait, women. Wait, 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 Jeanette, Jeanette, whew, Jeanette, wait, hang on. Um, you said it it gave Catholics the right to kind of lord it over the you know others uh, as if they were better, but the Jews do the same thing too, saying that like they're the chosen people. I mean, it it, it could is, is that am I right about that? Or do is my do theology Jews do the confused? same thing? Is that um, do Jews do the same thing? You mean yes? Well, Jews of old did. Certainly, Jews today do not. I I have great respect for Jews of today. Um, but it's interesting you brought that up. Catholicism grew out of Judaism, and Catholics of during right after Jesus died and um, church was in its infancy, the Catholic Church took that quality of saying we are the chosen ones and we have the truth, and uh, this attitude of intolerance toward other religions, Catholics inherited that from Judaism. It's one of the reasons that... um, the Catholic Church is correct in saying that um, it was tied to Judaism. Um, pagan religions did not do that. Pagan religions respected each other, and they knew, they must have known, the most educated pagans must have known that just because they had a certain God image, other pagan religions had a different God image, and it was just as good. Pagans and Christians debated with each other, but I don't, I have never seen evidence that pagans debated with each other because they didn't declare that they were the one and only true church as Christians did. 
That's just, so that's right. an they interesting were more, aspect. Of, yeah, yeah, they were more inclusive. Um, so let me ask you this, Jeanette, um, because uh, we uh, we have about 15 minutes left. Time is slipping. Um, you said you identify with nuns, N-O-N-E-S. Um, I think I have a I, I, I might know what you mean by that, but but fill us in. What what do you mean? How you identify with the N O N E S? Oh, that's another subject. That I'm so glad to for the opportunity to speak about. In 2007, that's when my um, God is not three guys in the sky came out. Uh, by the way, the subtitle of that is cherishing Christianity without its exclusive claims. And that, in 2007, my last chapter of that book, I state that I expect Christians in the future to just, people, I expect people to leave Christianity, to leave the church, having been nurtured by it, and taking some good things from it, but just leaving the church. And it was in 2007, I learned later, that the first Pew Research poll about religious attitudes in the United States came out saying that there was this group of people who were non-affiliated with any religion, or they came to be known as nons, N-O-N-E-S, and these nons, non-affiliated with any religion, um, of them... Most of them believed in God. They had a spirituality, but they did not accept the authority of any religion. They don't say, yeah, they say that they are free and independent of religion, but they have faith. And that's exactly where I am. I go to Mass with Benedictines because many of them have a broad-minded view. And because culturally, I like to keep up my friendship with people of my culture. They, they are beautiful women, the Benedictines that I go to Mass with. But if I lived somewhere else, as I said earlier, I would not go to church. And I, in, in my faith, I am a non because I am not restricted by religion, but I have a deeper faith than when I was enveloped in parochial faith. I yeah, well, you're you're rejecting organized just, religion is what you're saying. Yeah, you're you're rejecting exactly. organized religion, and I and. Spirituality is just who I am. I mean, uh, I, right. I pray all the time. I cannot get away from thinking about what God must be or how, how it's impossible to define God. And, and talking about spiritual reality, it's just, it consumes my life. So faith is very important, but independence from religion is equally as important. 
Gotcha. Um, I do want to throw something out at you, and I hope this isn't a curveball. Um, but lately, I, uh, I I don't have much good. It, it, at least, let me let me put this caveat. Based on how I think I understand the teachings, I don't have much good to say about prosperity gospels because I think it's really sort of warped. Um, the message that let's just say Jesus taught, you know, how we're supposed to treat one another. Um, do you have thoughts on that? Are the prosperity gospels um, sort of warping people's minds uh, to sort of reject the teachings of Jesus, or do I not really understand the prosperity gospels? I I agree. I agree with your view. And I also don't claim to know them very well because I am turned off so badly. <laughs> I I just don't like popular cultures um, that have grown out of our Christian United States. I I just, they they are distasteful to me. And maybe my distaste um, distorts what they're about. But to me, they, it seems like they're encouraging people to be selfish and to wish for shallow things instead of having, um, as you say, instead of following what Jesus taught. I have uh, something else I'd like to say is I have greater respect for Jesus, the revolutionary Jesus, the historical man who actually lived, than this puny, paltry stick figure that is sitting on the throne on the right side of the Father, um, the, this belief that Jesus is God. That Jesus does nothing for me, but Jesus' teaching, I think the, the greatest mission of the man was his teaching about spiritual reality. And prosperity gospels, um, well, again, I'm, I'm no expert, but it does not sit well with me. I'll just say that. Well, it, 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 I think it, it uh, ties into greed is good, you know. Um, yes. and, and, the, yes. and, and the other thing, too, is, um, I, you know, Jesus, you know, I kind of, uh, when I look at Jesus, I kind of uh, don't look at him as the organized religion Jesus. I sort of look at Jesus as an archetype of the sacred masculine, maybe alongside Mary Magdalene as the divine feminine, you know, as like a power couple, sort of. And, um, you know, this image of uh, Jesus on the cross, um, you know, lately my thing has really been about, uh, you know, abuse and suffering and sacrifice. And I think, you know, in a way when we see him up on the cross, he becomes a propaganda tool to perpetuate that suffering, sacrifice, and accepting abuse is um, is noble. And, uh, and again, exactly. I think that ties into it ties into greed because, you know, the people in authority and power, um, you know, we've conditioned to accept, uh, you know, abuse and suffering as if it's a noble thing. So when they exploit us, we don't fight back. 
you know. Um, right. It, I, I don't know. That's, that, that's where I'm at thinking about this. Well, I, I think I have exactly that theme in my beyond parochial faith, in my own life story. My story as a Catholic, speaking as a Catholic, um, that was one of the things I had to work out of. I had to overcome the feeling that life should be rough and I should not have an easy time in life. I should be poor and I should be humble and I should put up with things and I, I had to stop thinking that being a Catholic meant sacrifice. And at the same time, um, I, I think that it's not good to believe greed is good. Uh, balance is the word, isn't it? We need balance. Yeah. We need to stop thinking that we're not, we're too humble, and we need to, we need to be. <laughs> what else can I say? We need to be balanced. Right. Well, and it makes me mad that you don't find anybody in the pulpit saying to the congregation, so um, how is your quality of life? <laughs> you know, you don't hear that, do you? You know? Um, yeah, well, Jeanette, um, we're... We're almost uh, we're almost at the hour here, and uh, uh, again, uh, you know, I think your book is fabulous. I, I hope my listeners uh, definitely go out and buy it. I I think it will be a wonderful read, and they will get so much out of it. Uh, but I, I just my last question. I want to shift gears just a little bit. Um, uh, it, it, tell me, uh, who's your favorite Democratic candidate for president? <laughs> oh, um, well, I live in Minnesota, and I don't think it's just for that reason. I think that Amy Klobuchar would be an excellent candidate. She, we know her in Minnesota. We know that she has – see, I, I really like Elizabeth Warren, but um, the country is not ready for Elizabeth Warren. But I think if we – were um, if we had as our candidate Amy Klobuchar, we could bring in a lot of independents and Republicans. I have a Republican friend who prefers Amy Klobuchar to Trump, of course, but he never was a fan of Trump. But still, Amy Klobuchar has um, moderate views. She's called a moderate, but that but she's she's clever. Uh, she's a good thinker. She's stable. She um, has a great background. She doesn't have any marks against her, as far as I can see. And I think it's just that she is not well known because she's from Minnesota, and she hasn't gotten it as enough attention. I wish that she, right. the media, would pay her more attention. Well, you know, the media, the media is, uh, oh, don't even get me started on the media. <laughs> uh, you know, they, they I, I don't, you know, they, they've uh, long since given up their 
their role as the you know as as the fourth estate protecting democracy. They're just you know corporate tools. Um, you know my two cents. Uh, well, well, thank you for that, uh, Jeanette. Um, you know I, I I appreciate your insight there. You know I'm still a Bernie girl, <laughs> uh, but I I've, I've seen Klobuchar on uh, on the yeah I, I've seen Klobuchar on the stage and and you know and and I, I it's a shame she hasn't gotten more attention and hasn't gotten more traction. I mean look I I I I, I, I would I don't have any Anything against her, you know. I've just been for Bernie since you know 2016, and uh, you know, and I, I'm can still I say loyal something about? Can I sure. say something about Bernie? I I think sure. Bernie is too old. Bernie Bernie is a wonderful thinker, but he made his contribution. Now he gave us all these wonderful ideas, but he's too old. He would be 88. If he served two terms, nobody can think well enough at 88. I'm 76, and I think that Bernie and Joe Biden should just get out of the race because they're too old. Jeanette, shame on you. Shame on you. You're perpetuating ageism. (laughs) No, I I dare to say it because I am older. I, I dare to say it because I'm that age group. We have to real. We have to face reality. Face reality. When you're nearly 80, that's not a time to run for president. I'm sorry. That's the way it is. <laughs> I hear you. I, I think Jimmy Car- Jimmy Carter said that. Uh, uh, recently too, yes. I think. Uh, but but you yes. know, I think there's something to be said for the fact. Look look at uh, look at the ages of people on the Supreme Court. You know, I think we all, we have to look at this sort of stuff on an individual basis. Um, you know, uh, every you know, all 80 year olds are not equal. You know, so but you know, we'll we'll agree to disagree, but we're definitely not voting for Trump. <laughs> we'll agree on that. <laughs> Right. Right. Well, well, Jeanette, thank you so much uh, for the show tonight. And uh, again, let me just uh, mention your uh, your websites. Uh, you have a couple. Folks can either use your name, Jeanette Blonigan Clancy, and if you don't know how to spell it, uh, you can look on my. Um, my uh, the page for the radio show or God is not three guys uh, that's easy to remember and the three is a number not the word God is not three guys uh, you know God is not three guys dot com so uh, you can most definitely find Jeanette and her work um, so Jeanette the book is already, also, I mean you get it from Amazon uh, yeah but I also want to say Maybe it's easier for some people to remember my title, Beyond Parochial Faith, A Catholic Confesses. And that will bring them to my uh, publishers. I did not self-publish this book. It's published by Whippenstock Publishers, and yes, it is on Amazon. But just Googling Beyond Parochial Faith, A Catholic Confesses will bring them to um, a place to buy it also. But my own website, 
my own website is the place to read about the book beyond parochial faith a catholic confesses and we also want to drive people to your blog and to your other book too because um really uh it it's all good uh it's all really really good stuff and uh uh i mean the holidays are coming up uh i mean you know you have catholic friends out there uh you know this this could be a great uh you know idea for a uh a gift for the holidays for your catholic friend or even your uh, academic friends or your any of your friends really because uh, one or the other would, uh, you know, would certainly be uh, something different for them. So, um, you know, highly recommend your stuff, Jeanette. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Karen. Okay. Um, Ellen, listen, I was thinking, um, just throwing this out there to you, I bet it would be fun for us to have a chat one night about all the stuff you learned in, uh, you know, when you went to get your master's in theology that just made your hair curl. I mean, at some point I'd love to hear what you think about uh, the virgin birth and uh, Noah's Ark and all the rest of the stuff that, uh, you know, just kind of, um, you know, we have to sort of suspend it belief to uh, you know to believe in it another area would be some stories of saints you know the the hagiography the stories told about the saints that's another aspect oh there are so many things we could talk about we could also talk about Mary Magdalene being an author of the fourth gospel how's that Uh, for a topic well you know what one why don't you make a list and we'll schedule some dates and we'll talk about this stuff. I think it would be fun. Okay. Okay. Uh, it's been All a right. pleasure, Karen. I enjoy. <laughs> same same here, Jeanette. Uh, same here. Um, and uh, best of luck with the book, uh, Beyond uh, Parochial Faith, A Catholic Confesses. Listeners, go out there and buy this book. I don't think you'll be disappointed. It's a page-turner. Thank you, Jeanette. Um, Have a great uh, holiday, and I'm sure we'll talk soon. Likewise to you. Have a great holiday. Okay. Good night. Well, listeners, uh, that about does it. Good night. Uh, That about does it for me for tonight. Uh, I want to thank you for tuning in. Uh, I highly encourage you to go check out uh, Jeanette's work. Um, You know, go pull up her blog. Uh, Really good stuff. And, uh, you know, her her entries are not really long. Uh, So, you know, she, she... you know, uh, they, you know, her, her entries, all her, her essays, they pack a wallop and, you know, you're not sitting there forever. If you're like me, you have kind of attention deficit disorder. You like to kind of get to the point. Uh, she's, she's good about that. You know, the, the blog entries are a, a, a nice size, but she, uh, she covers some great topics and uh, trust me, you'll be like me. You'll end up posting her blog on your Facebook pages and sharing it with your friends. Um, so any Anyway, uh, check out Jeanette's work. And, um, you know, Solon is around the corner. Uh, it's next week. And uh, we have a special author that's going to be with me. We're going to be talking about familiars. 
and I believe that might be next Wednesday, if uh, if memory serves. I think next Wednesday is the Wednesday before Halloween, uh, and so that's the topic uh, for next next Wednesday. So uh, please uh, tune in. And remember, you can always uh, catch us uh, from the archives. You don't have to listen live. Uh, and I would highly recommend, if you haven't done this already, please go to the Voices of the Sacred Feminine show page. And on the show page, there is a follow button. Hit that follow button um, and you will become a follower. And every week you will get an email reminder in your email inbox that will tell you the topic of this week's show. And there's a link there where you can just click and it will take you right to the interview. Uh, but I also recommend you go to the show page on Blog Talk and you, if you scroll down to the bottom of the page where you see some numbers and boxes, those are pages and pages of interviews that I've done over the years. There is an incredible archive here on Voices of the Sacred Feminine. It is not dated by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I have interviewed academics, spiritual people, politicos like Noam Chomsky, Vandana Shiva. Uh, I mean, the, the list goes on and on because I really do believe that uh, goddess spirituality, uh, the divine feminine is such a huge umbrella uh, that all of these topics there over the years fit nicely um, you know, under that umbrella there. So there's good stuff there. If you're traveling for the holidays and you need to kill time in an airport or on the road, uh, pull up Voices of the Sacred Feminine and listen to all the wisdom of the way showers, men and women both, who have been on the show over the years. All right, and that about does it for me. Um, I'd love to hear from you, uh, so pop me an email at karentate108 at uh, yahoo.com. Uh, I'm always looking for new guests uh, on the show and new topics, and uh, I'd like to hear if you're enjoying the show, too. So um, let me hear from you listeners, and um, happy Samhain to all of you out there. Good night.